Calling all AEC professionals. Get ready for unparalleled professional insights with detailed and original podcasts by RCAT. This is the podcast that brings you the untold stories and lessons learned behind the design and delivery of a building project. Hey, it's Sharice Lakeside, aka the CSI Kraken, and your host. Join me as we dive deep into the tales of conflict, triumph, and sheer ingenuity. Yeah, so when Serena was named for the, it was going to be named for the building, you know, we really were able to work with teams at Nike Branding and how to really infuse her influence and identity in the very public spaces. Detailed features architects, engineers, builders, and manufacturers who spill the beans on the most complex, interesting, and downright odd building conditions they've encountered. Another challenge of the of the shuttle is actually and putting it in launch position is how you brace that seismically. It's really supported by only two pins at the base of the booster rockets. And there's a large base isolator that's underneath the shuttle that kind of prevents it from moving too much in an earthquake. The, you know, when you have 600 people or 300 people in a room, acoustically, you really need a high floor to floor so that you can have the right acoustic environment for people to be able to talk and that, that speech intelligibility is really good. Every episode unveils lessons learned and connects you to the products you need to navigate similar challenges. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Detailed today and be prepared for the unexpected on your next project. Every building has a story and we are here to tell it. Hey there, and welcome back to She Builds Podcast, where we share stories about women in the design and construction field, one lady at a time. This season's theme is Places We've Called Home. That means we'll be sharing stories about ladies who are from or lived anywhere that we lived for any period of time and considered a home. On today's episode, we will talk about Ruth Gordon Schnapp, the first female certified structural engineer in California. I'm Lizzie Rahr, excited to drive over the Golden Gate Bridge later this week in San Francisco, and I'm joined by my fellow co-hosts, Jessica and Norjiti. I'm Norjiti Rivas, wanting to ride a Mini Cooper down Lombard Street, coming to you from Houston, Texas. I'm Jessica Rogers, creating sourdough bread from Blue Dam Bakery at Fisherman's Wharf, based out of Miami, Florida. All right, now for our disclaimer. The three of us are not experts on this subject. We are just sharing stories about the information that we find. If we get our facts a little mixed up, please forgive us, leave us a comment, and we will all continue learning. All right, ladies, before we get to Ruth's story, I'll tell you why I have chosen Ruth. In case you didn't know, I live in San Francisco, California. I remember from a few minutes ago when you said it, yes. <laughs> yes, yes. You are the third in our time zones amongst our group. So, yes, I do know you're in California. Yeah, I'm just making sure that you guys are paying attention. All right. <laughs> Good job. Yes. Well, I've lived here for nine years now, which is wild. And well, spoiler alert, Ruth ends up living and working in San Francisco for many years. It's like you're the same person. I know. Your home is her home. That's why we're talking about home. So there you go. Mm -hmm. Indeed. 
speaking of home, not only have I lived here for almost a decade, but my mom is actually from the Bay Area and her family has been here for about three generations. So it's always been a special place for me, even before I moved out here. Wow. You see the story behind the story. I always forget that you have roots in the Bay Area. I am now Mm -hmm. more excited for you to tell this story. Exactly. Okay. Our story starts back before 1900 in Lithuania, which at this time is the Russian Empire. Ruth's father, Solomon Gordon, leaves Lithuania and slowly works his way across Europe during various jobs, working at a machine shop and at a candy factory in Poland. He eventually made it all the way to Scotland, where he got on a ship to the U.S. in 1900. What a way to start the story. What a journey. Imagine working at a candy factory. Sounds sweet. Pun intended. Of course. It's also really interesting to see this journey just to get to the U.S. because it probably wasn't easy or no piece of cake. Okay, I'm done. Sweet. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so he gets to the U.S. He sends word to his fiance, Leah Yaffa, in Lithuania to come join him and get married. They settle down in Dallas to start, and something I read said that he also worked in a candy factory in Dallas. Apparently, this man knew his candy. Oh, hey, settling up in Texas. What up, (laughs) y'all? Well, it was somewhat short-lived. In 1908, they had a daughter named Clara, and when Clara was 10, the family moved to Seattle. And her dad got a job as a streetcar man, which from what I could tell seems to be a streetcar operator. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad you said that because I was just wondering what a streetcar man was. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it makes sense. And they really were hopping around a bit. Mm -hmm. Eight years after they moved to Seattle, Ruth Gordon was born on September 19th, 1926, 18 years after her sister Clara. Whoa. That's a big age gap. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, they had a lot of life in to figure out before having another kid. So, yeah, I'm not sure if it was like a surprise baby situation or if just like life was a lot. So we finish raising one kid before we get to the next. I don't know. (laughs) But anyway, Ruth loved math and she was really good at it. During first grade, she and another girl in her class would get extra math classes and English during lunch hours. She moved up to second grade by the end of the year, and she also skipped seventh grade. So when she started at Queen Anne High School, she was only 12 years old. Okay. This season, we have a lot of overachievers in the bunch. Yes. Part of me also wonders if this is like a character trait when we discuss engineers. Like, they gotta skip grades. Maybe. Who knows? But I think, like, to make friends with other 14-year-olds when you're 12... That sounds really hard, you know, like they don't want to hang out with a little kid. Yeah, I know what you mean. I wonder if she could pass for an older kid, though. Like, I mean, we had someone in our grade that was actually a year younger than everyone else, but she was like really tall. So you couldn't necessarily tell that she was younger than us. Yeah. Well, while Ruth is getting her math on in school, she's also super into piano and she's really good. At her graduation, she played Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue with the orchestra, and she actually wanted to become a concert pianist. Neat. I can only imagine that this was difficult and that Ruth could handle it, though. A musician, I need to go listen to this song. I bet it slaps. (laughs) (laughs) So Ruth's dad was a feminist and believed that women should have higher education, just like men. So he was like, maybe concert pianist isn't the most secure option, 
Both her parents told her, you can never tell what's going to happen. You have to study something for which you can make a living. Well, I wish they would have supported her dream, but I'm glad that they encouraged her to study. I'm glad yeah. that they believed women should study. I mean, you couldn't study piano, but all right. <laughs> yeah, it's like they were almost there with like all of the support, but then they were like, but don't be a pianist. Hearing their journey of just getting to the U.S., though, I think I can understand where they were coming from. True. Yeah, it maybe seems counterintuitive, but they were also practical people, right? So, mm -hmm. and Ruth really loved math, right? So she decided to be an engineer. She said she didn't know much about engineering, but that they used math, which she loved, like I said. So she figured it was a good choice. Makes sense. It sounds like math is to an engineer like Lego is to an architect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, her mom ran into a friend who said that her son had just gotten a scholarship to MIT. So her mom told Ruth that she should apply for scholarships. She applied to MIT, Purdue and Stanford because they all had great engineering programs. She said, when I wrote to Stanford, I didn't even know where it was. When they accepted me, I had to find out where it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes that happens. I remember I had to look at Syracuse on the map to understand that it wasn't next door to New York City. <laughs> well, yeah, I'd never heard of Syracuse before I applied, but at least I looked it up before I actually applied. Like, do your homework, Ruth. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I only knew that it would be cold and that it snowed there. But again, I came from Florida, so it wasn't until I got accepted, actually, that I saw that it was upstate New York. Okay, so Jessica's following in Ruth's footsteps. Yep, connections. Okay. <laughs> well, this was during World War II, so Stanford was accepting more women than usual, as we've seen with some of our past ladies. So Ruth goes off to Palo Alto. Now's the time. The first day of classes, there were 15 women enrolled in the engineering department. By year two, there were only three left. One day, there's an announcement on campus that women had been seen wearing, quote, inappropriate clothing. Below the library. Gasp. What the heck does that mean? <laughs> Man, they're tripping. Were they wearing pants or something? Okay. Yeah. So it turns out that Ruth and her fellow classmates were these women that were wearing inappropriate clothing. So number one, they had field classes where they're doing welding, forging and foundry work. And obviously they have to wear jeans to those classes instead of like dresses or whatever else, because the clothes would have been filthy. Number yeah. two, these classes are late in the afternoon, so they didn't have time to change out of the jeans before going to dinner at the dining hall, which was below the library. Goodness, Jessica, you nailed it. That is hella dumb, though, to put them on blast like that for such a silly reason. Wow. 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 Okay. I was like half joking when I suggested this. Never would have thought it would have been that serious. Seems out of pocket to me to punish these women for doing what they're supposed to do. Go out in the field. It's jeans, people. Jeans. Yeah. Get over well, it. Well, Ruth wrote a letter to the editor of the school paper and said, Quote, well, we're doing forging, foundry and welding. And if the university wants to pay for our cleaning bills, we'd be glad to change clothes. <laughs> Tell them, Ruth. Now Ruth was putting them on blast. <laughs> <laughs> a week later, there was a notice put up that said, quote, women to wear appropriate clothes, except for those in certain specified courses. 
Oh, I'm so glad I was not alive during those times. I cannot mm. deal with that. Let women live their lives. Who give two cents about what we wear? The creative ways used to control us astound me. Yeah. What's funny to me is that it's not like they were wearing like scantily clad or risque clothing that others may find, quote unquote, distracting. They wore jeans to do field work. <laughs> Preach. Yes. So during summers, Ruth would go back to Seattle and she got summer jobs at Boeing. Her first summer, she was a troubleshooter in the engineering department. She went wherever they needed help. Second summer, she worked on B-17 bombers. She said that she would spend nine and a half hours every day on her hands and knees because you had to crawl around on these like templates. That sounds cool. That actually sounds a little scary to me. I don't like being around weapons, but I'm sure that was the booming industry at the time. So I'm glad that she got exposure to lucrative work. Hopefully they were paying her well. Right. Boeing. I think she was working on the airplanes because Boeing's an airline company. Uh, oh, okay. During that summer, VJ Day happened on August 15, 1945. The war was over. She said everyone at Boeing was out in the streets celebrating together. The very next day, Boeing sends a memo to all the female employees that they, quote, were working in so-called male jobs and that starting today, they could either take a typing job at lower pay or quit. Oh, OK. So this sounds horrible, right? But this isn't the first time that we've heard about this. If you recall episode 68 with Esther McCoy, she too was working for a company, but knew that her time was limited once the war was over. But what we didn't hear is this part, this notice that they gave. Oh, that's horrible. Yeah, I mean, my jaw dropped. This is so Handmaid's Tale. This is so scary that they could do that. Just remove their livelihood in one fell swoop. Yeah, well, Ruth only had a few weeks before she went back to school, so she did stay on as a typist. But she was the slowest typist they ever did have. <laughs> this is actually kind of funny. <laughs> it is. Do you think she did it out of spite or does she actually suck? Oh, no, it was out of spite. She was purposefully okay. being slow. And then she never went back to Boeing. Good. Yeah. Especially if they like treated female employees like that. Like much respect. Also, Ruth wanted to be an engineer, not a typist. Your huge loss, Boeing. Big, mm. big mistake. Mm -hmm. Big mistake. <laughs> in 1948, Ruth graduated from Stanford with a degree in civil engineering. She was the only woman to graduate with that degree. One other woman finished with her in the engineering department with a degree in electrical engineering. At least she finished. Go, Ruth. Mm-hmm. She what? decided to stay at Stanford for her master's and chose structural engineering because she was interested in earthquakes and making buildings more safe against them. Mm, it must have been very fascinating to learn, especially living in that area. Very prone to earthquakes. Right. Yes. So during grad school, a guy who was a few years ahead of her invited like 22 people over to his parents' place for dinner. The house was super nice and fancy. It had 13 bedrooms and seven bathrooms. Fancy. 13 bedrooms. Oh, interesting. I'm wondering where this is going. What was the selection process? Was there a special occasion? What was going on? <laughs> 
I think it was just like a big dinner party where he invited a bunch of people. They obviously had the space. But the fun thing about it is that the house was where Lillian Gilbreth grew up. Lillian Gilbreth. Is this the chick from Cheaper by the Dozen? Mm-hmm. Or like yes. where the story's yeah, yeah. from? But wait, I have a question. So Ruth got invited to a big party by Lillian's brother? No, this was a different family who lived in the house now. Ah, okay. A different big family. Mm. I don't know if they were as big, but it was a different family. (laughs) Okay. But at this dinner, Ruth made friends with this guy's parents who lived in the house. She kept in touch with them and she would sometimes stop by on her way to class, chat with them and whatnot. They became friends. One day she stops by the house like usual and she went around the back of the house and there was a guy that she didn't know working on a car. Ruth said, quote, he stood up and he was the most handsome man I had ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) Funny how she became more friends with the parents than the dude that invited her over in the first place. (laughs) That is a cute meat cute, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that reaction she had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. His name was Michael Schnapp. He was a retired Air Force officer. They started dating and he would fly up to see her when she was in school. He owned an airplane and was teaching flying lessons to pay for school. What he was in school for, I do not know, though. OK, now that sounds cool. But given the name of the lady that we're talking about, we don't need to know what he studied because what we do know is that they are a couple of other things. Wink, wink. I hear marriage bells. (laughs) Imagine earning continuing education credits while doing exactly what you're doing right now. Well, you can. Gable Media has revolutionized the way you earn your continuing education credits with a groundbreaking approach. Forget running around town and scouring the internet for credit-worthy courses. Fulfill your CE requirements effortlessly by listening to engaging podcasts just like the one you're listening to now. Our podcasts are designed to educate, entertain, and inspire, all in a user-friendly environment. But wait, there's more. Architects, Gable Media is also approved as an AIA continuing education services provider. Upon completion, we handle everything from reporting your hours directly to the AIA to storing your certificates in your personal Gable Media profile for your self-reporting needs. So follow the link in the show notes and start earning your credits in the most innovative and entertaining way possible with Gable Media. Well, it sounds to me that Ruth finished graduate school a couple months after meeting Michael and then stayed with this family in the Lillian house after she finished school. So one day Michael (laughs) comes by and says, Let's fly to Reno and get married. Cute. So romantic. It almost makes me nauseous. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Ruth thinks this is a great idea and she goes to tell her friend. The friend says, nonsense, you're going to get married here. And that's how Ruth got married in the childhood home of Lillian Gilbreth in September of 1949. Cool. They must have thought of (laughs) Ruth as a part of the family. That's so sweet. Right? Okay. So now Ruth is on the job hunt, but she's getting shot down. She would get told flat out, we don't hire women. She knew to only put her first initial down so that they didn't know she was a woman at first. But when she'd show up, they'd tell her no. Mm. Finally, in April, a guy named Isidore Thompson hired her. He didn't care that she was a woman as long as she could do the job. Can we talk about how hella annoying it is when we hear our ladies get flat out turned down for jobs because they're women? Again, so glad I was not alive in that time. 
Yes. So out of pocket. Mm -hmm. She got hired on a Friday and had to start on Monday. Getting hired by Isidore was huge because she was able to get jobs at other companies after that. She worked at several places over the next few years, like Bechtel and Western Knapp. It's good to know that she was able to find work afterwards, though. Like she wasn't stuck at one job that had hired her. A springboard for other jobs. Exactly. (laughs) Indeed. So when Ruth is at Western Knapp, an old co-worker from Isidore Thompson had just moved to work for the state of California. And they asked Ruth, do you want to take the exam? So to work at the state, you had to be a state certified civil engineer and pass an exam. So Ruth took the exam and passed in 1953, and she went to work at the California office of the state architect for 29 years. Bam! At this job, she worked on designs for school buildings and hospitals for earthquake resistance. At first, she was mostly checking plans in the office, but later she passed another exam to move up and do field work, which she really liked. They also worked to bring existing buildings up to code. Cool, cool, cool. It looked like she was able to work on the stuff that she was interested in. I bet she was wearing jeans then. I'm really stuck (laughs) on this jean thing. Meanwhile, Ruth and Mike have three children, Madeline, Marsha, and Michael Jr., and Ruth kept working. When asked how she managed that during her early career with young kids in the 50s, she said that they hired housekeepers. It was unclear to me if this was like a nanny type role also, but it might have been. The housekeeper would also cook dinner a lot of the time for the family. She said they were a two-income family, so they could afford to do it. I like that we're talking about this because it's something interesting to note. We never talk about the hired help that our ladies would have had to have to have Mm -hmm. a career in children. I'm glad we're talking about this. But also imagine that a time when a two-income family could afford luxuries. Now it's like you got to have two-income and three side hustle families to afford groceries. Facts. (laughs) Yeah. So in their spare time, Ruth and Mike were also very into sailing and they raced sailboats. Yay, boats! Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. (laughs) They were members of the Golden Gate Yacht Club for many years. Mm-hmm. So, in 1959, Ruth decided to get her structural engineering license. You had to already be certified as a civil engineer, work at least three years under a licensed structural engineer, and pass a 16-hour exam. Sound kind of familiar, ladies? Yeah. Didn't Lois Cooper have to do something similar? Also, 16 hours? Ew. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, so from what I could tell... And structural and civil engineers can correct me on this because this is just me searching things. Mm -hmm. Lois was trying to pass the first exam that Ruth took before going to work at the state to be a licensed civil engineer. This test is specifically for structural engineering. It gets taken after you're already a civil professional engineer. Well, it also sounds familiar to the ARES. And we can relate to this a little bit. But not 16 hours straight. I mean, the ARES are 24 hours total, but not straight. That's a little too much, 16 hours straight. Did they include breaks for lunch and dinner? Because I can't work on an empty stomach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have no idea, actually, like if it's over two days. But I was thinking the same thing. Like, that's so long. <laughs> yeah. So at that time, 25% of people passed the exam on the first try. So the night before the Ruth is taking this test... Her son, Michael, has a fever of 104, and she has to stay up with him most of the night. Not great for test prep. Yeah. Oh, poor kid. And poor Ruth. Hey, the life of a mama. 
Mm-hmm. She said afterwards that she didn't think she passed, but she did. And this made her the first female certified structural engineer in California. It would be 20 years before another woman passed the exam. Yay for Ruth! Yeah, I mean, Ruth was amazingly smart. But if she didn't pass, I think it would be understandable. I mean, she probably was distracted thinking about her sick kid. So, go Ruth! Also, 20 years? I guess there Mm -hmm. weren't that many female structural engineers out there. Well, yeah, they had less opportunities to become certified structural engineers with all these obstacles, people trying to deny them the right to study and wear jeans to work, (laughs) to get actual practice. Yeah. True. Mm -hmm. So Ruth is working in the state division of architecture and structural safety section. She loves doing field work to go to see construction projects or inspect buildings that are being brought up to the current safety codes. One day she went out for coffee and when she got back to her desk, she found two fortune cookies. The first one said, woman's greatest desire is to be a man. And the second one said, you are almost there. What the? Uh, I'm trying to keep calm right now. But what the flying duck? This is straight up harassment. Someone about to get sued. Right. So Mm -hmm. a law had just been passed saying that verbal harassment on women was also illegal, not just physical harassment. So she reported it to a colleague who said he wouldn't do anything about it. So she complained to headquarters. All they did was require the guy she complained to to recirculate the notice about verbal harassment being illegal. But to top it off, he wrote at the bottom of this notice. This reminder is because of a complaint to headquarters by one of our engineers. And then a few months before that, she had a newspaper clipping on her desk that said, women can now deduct facelifts from their income tax. Okay, good for Ruth for standing up and going to headquarters. Horrible for this company and this guy. Again, what the F? (laughs) And what is happening? Facelifts and income tax. This is insane. This is unbelievable. The level of bullying and harassment going on is off the charts. Mm -hmm. And the way that they supposedly took care of it makes no Mm -hmm. sense. Yeah. And she said that it wasn't until much later in her time at this job that these kinds of things started happening. And she thought that it was because she had moved up and some people didn't like that she was working above them now. She still really loved working in the field, but she said it wasn't fun anymore at this job. Of course not. She needs to lawyer up. Where is Gloria Allred when you need her? (laughs) Also, totally understandable. Sometimes it's not always about the work, but of the people that you work with. I hope she was able to find better, though, because that's horrible. Better what? Human beings? I'm starting to doubt it. I'm losing all my faith in humanity with the BS going on in this episode. I'm slightly tripping, but slightly not. Yeah. I mean, I'm hoping for a better firm for Ruth because it all sounds hella foolish to me. Mm. Well, shortly after that, the city of San Francisco decided that it was going to require 10% of all of their projects to go to women. As Hmm. soon as she went into the office after this announcement, an engineer came up to her and said, have you ever considered working for yourself? When she talked about it, she said that she was essentially the enemy they knew. Right. 
they liked the idea of giving the work to her because they they had worked with her. They knew she was a good engineer and they wanted to, like, you know, be able to give projects to someone who they knew who could do it. But obviously they were making it difficult for her to work with. So it was sort of a I don't know. It was a weird situation. Yeah. I mean, it's always scary to think like to try to go out on your own or to try something different. But it's nice to hear that they at least trusted Ruth's work. I guess. I mean, that is one backhanded compliment that she yeah. was getting. I yes. I hate I hate all of this. I mean, we've had eight seasons of this BS. Yeah. Well, she and Mike talked about it and he told her that he would support whatever she wanted to do. She decided to quit after 29 years with the state and start her own engineering firm called Pegasus Engineering. This was in 1984. But this meant that she left five years before getting her full pension for working at the state. So she lost out on a lot of money. But she said once she opened her business, she never had to hunt for work. Amen, sister. Okay, so bummer about the pension, but she gained security and more importantly, peace of mind. So go girl. Also, bravo to the supportive husband. Yes, for sure. I mean, it must have been bittersweet to leave that money behind. But thinking about it, it sounds 100% worth it. Yeah. Yeah. So during this time, the state also decided that it was going to check the earthquake safety of all the hospitals. So. Ruth's firm worked on 44 of them in nine months. Oh, snap. Well, it's nice to know that she didn't have any struggles with finding work. So go, Ruth. Because she was freaking good at what she did. And those a-holes, instead of focusing on getting better at doing their damn jobs, found it easier to harass her because it was. This is the best revenge that she could get on them to flourish on her own. Mm. Yes. Exactly. So a few of the big projects that Ruth worked on were the San Francisco Public Library, San Francisco Asian Art Museum, San Quentin Prison, Palace of the Legion of Honor, San Francisco General Hospital, and Marin General Hospital. Ooh, big projects. Some still exist today. They all do. Arc Ventures. (laughs) Ruth said that she loved structural engineering because, quote, you know what you're doing. You know that you're doing something for humanity because engineering deals with safety. And as a structural engineer, you have to blend your engineering with the architecture and you have to be pretty creative about it with those architects being what they are. It's very satisfying. (laughs) What (laughs) with architects being what they are? (laughs) This is funny. Uh, Yeah, right. What does that mean, Ruth? I've been defending you this whole episode. Don't make me regret that. I know. So in the interview I was reading, she definitely took a few digs at architects. But she also was talking about how in the 60s, architects didn't want to have engineers do their engineering because they wanted to do it themselves because that had Mm. been historically how it had been happening. So Mm -hmm. there was some tension there, I think, in that transition. But Speaking for myself today, I definitely want the engineer doing the design. Do not put that on me, Ricky Bobby. Yes. Hashtag relatable. Yeah. Why would you want that liability? Was it harder to sue architects in the 60s than it is now? Were people not scared of those things like we are today? They just didn't like change. Mm. Well, still stay on your lane, architects. 
we don't like it when engineers feel like they can do our job. So why would we turn around and do that to them? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Ruth was an active member in SWE, the Society of Women Engineers, and especially her local SF chapter. She believed in mentoring young women to be part of math and science professions. She said, you should be visible as women in engineering and particularly successful women in engineering and also encourage girls and young women to study engineering. Representation matters. Say it, Ruth. Preach! In 2000, Mike passed away and Ruth decided to close Pegasus Engineering in 2001. Ruth stayed in San Francisco during her retirement and she knit sweaters for her sailing crew. Oh man, I'm sad that Mike passed away, but knitting sweaters for her sailing crew sounds cute. Right? Yes, and it is sad, but... I think this might be a She Builds podcast first. Ruth is the first lady on our show to retire and just chill. Ruth passed away on January 1st, 2014 at 87 years old. Wow, what a story. I feel awful about all that BS that she went through, yet inspired by her perseverance, work ethic, activism. Ruth, you're an inspiration to structural engineers and Absolutely anyone who is passionate about their profession. I'm happy I got to learn about her today. That's right. She was 87 years old. She did so much. I hope her story inspires more ladies to study engineering. Thank you, Lizzie, for a great story. You're welcome. Before we leave you, we have to tell you who our karyotid is for this week's episode. Jessica, can you remind us what a karyotid is? So for some background, a karyotid is a stone carving of a woman used as a column or a pillar to support the structure of a Greek or Greek style building. Each episode will choose a karyotid, a woman who is working today, furthering the profession through their work and who ties in to the historical woman of our episode. Without further ado, this week's karyotid is... Taylor Funk. Taylor grew up in Southern California and she was always interested in earthquakes. So she decided to study structural engineering. She got her BS in civil and environmental engineering from UC Berkeley and then went to UT Austin to get her master's in structural engineering. Hook em horns. <laughs> degrees on degrees. Very cool. She now works at the firm Structural Focus, where she works on seismic retrofits and historic renovations. She works on a variety of projects, including commercial buildings and educational facilities. Some of her more notable projects are the Ole Hansen Beach Club, the Sony Pictures Accio Morita Building, and the Scripps College New Residence Hall. She's also part of her firm's Back to Business initiative, which helps businesses in L.A. get back to working after a large earthquake. Wow, this is real important work. Thank you, Taylor, for all that you do. Yes, thank you. Those are some big projects, by the way. Mm hmm. Okay, before we say goodbye, we want to say thank you to CMYK for the music, John W., our technical producer, and most of all, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed learning about Ruth and Taylor along with our banter and that you're inspired to find out more about them and other amazing professional ladies. Again, thank you. She Builds Podcast is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network and Gable Media is all about building a better world. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at GableMedia.com. That is G-A-B-L-Media.com. 
Please let us know what you thought of our episode. If you've enjoyed it, please help us spread the word. Tell your friends, your department heads, even tell your sexist co-workers so that they can learn something from our show. Tell them to give us five stars on iTunes and Spotify. Write us a review and this will help us reach a wider audience like to avoid those mean people and for more people to learn about these amazing ladies with us we are excited to hear from you and for you to come back and keep learning about women bosses with us you can email us your thoughts at shebuildspodcast at gmail.com leave a comment on our website shebuildspodcast.com or follow us on instagram and facebook at shebuildspodcast and on twitter at shebuildspod bye bye Bye. she could have played bingo she was knitting. Maybe she you know? did. She was knitting. She was knitting while she played bingo. I love it. Mm-hmm. Hey, designers and curious minds. Ever wondered about the stories hiding within your building's walls? I'm Carrie Seaburn, structural engineer and host of Unstruct the podcast that decodes and simplifies major concepts of structural design. Behind the math and physics, structural engineering simply predicts building behavior. Join me as we simplify the complex, making structural design accessible to everyone. Nowadays, instead of measuring it via cost, we're saying, well, what about carbon, you know? We've got two levers now that we can, if if an architect has an inefficient design, we can hit them with two levers if you like. The official casualty figure is 55,000. Everybody I talked to told me that the actual figure is at least three times as much. And I believe that. I mean, seeing what I saw, Turkish codes are good and, and they have been improving, but compliance was completely lacking. Fluent in steel, concrete, masonry, and timber design, I'll bring you leading engineers to dissect the tales behind their building structure. Whether you're an architect, contractor, engineer, or just love a good story, this podcast is for you. Yeah, beam penetrations. That's a fun topic on this project. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Unstruct. From within your walls, hear the story behind how your building stands today.